From the New York Stock Exchange to the direction of our politics, important issues are defined by the mainstream media. And more than ever, it's important to find out the real deal and to look at the issues that are defining our politics for generations to come. From whatever source has the information that we need. I'm Clay Aiken, and this week Politicon welcomes a source, J.D. Durkin. He's the host of None of the Above with J.D. Durkin, a brand new show that's debuting next week on Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Cheddar. But tonight, J.D. and I are going to talk about whether journalism, as it is, serves the people at all. I'll ask him what younger generations are looking for from journalism and media. I'll ask him if politics is even appealing to millennials at all. How can the media keep viewers informed without sensationalizing things? What in the living hell is cryptocurrency? And how the heck are we going to get along? Recording. Thank you for your patience. You're all don't, amazing. No, don't thank you for yours. Let's just, let's just all knock wood and, and that, you know, this is low, this is, this is low production value. What you're doing on Monday night for the first time will be <laughs> far higher production value than this is. So I, I'm not, that's, I'd rather it happen to us tonight than happen to you on Monday. Are you worried? Fair enough. I appreciate are it. Are you worried at all about, um, like the fact that so many folks in the media now get attacked for, I mean, it's not just the politicians who get attacked. So many folks in the media get attacked for being biased or being, are you worried that that'll end up being an issue for you? I, I'm not. Uh, I have been covering Washington for over four years here. Uh, I covered both the, all the ups and downs of the Trump administration and the campaign trail. And, and I've worked alongside a lot of great veteran journalists in the game who have come under attack the last few years um, for, for what that is. But, you know, I think I've learned a lot. I, th I think that's been one of the, the best gifts, Clay, of being uh, a member of the Capitol Hill Press Corps is being able to learn from the veterans who have been here for a really long time. And I've learned that you got to have a thick skin. You stand by your reporting. Um, and I've also learned from a lot of people that, you know, you can't always just both sides what politicians say. It's not enough simply to just report or say what, you know, ex-Democrat or ex-Republican says. Um, all offices lie and there's always a spin. And um, I'm not personally concerned about coming under attack like that. I think I stand by the work that I and my colleagues are lucky enough to do, and I hope that comes through to viewers. Um, people are, I mean, what is truth now, J.D.? Um, <laughs> it's, it's a horror, stupid question to ask. It sounds like a stupid question, but it really is, it's difficult to convince people of what the truth is. I mean, I understand that grass is green and the sky is blue, but we're in a, we're in a world now where people will argue with you about the sky being blue thing, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I feel like that is a lot of people, a lot of people would argue that that is a result of so many different media outlets posing as news outlets, but really being more mm -hmm. about, um, I won't say just opinion, because it's not just opinion, um, it's commentary it's hell some of it feels like satire but how how does an, how does another news show help 
how does it help this this point that you're talking about here? I mean, listen, I, I, I got to stand by and have confidence for the work that I've done as a journalist. I always think that the job of a reporter or a journalist is the closest verifiable version of the truth. And what I'm really hoping to, to come through for this show is an acknowledgement that I, I will not be afraid in prime time to say where, for instance, I think Democrats are on the right side of history or where I think the GOP may just have better ideas about how to make progress on things. Um, I think uh, in terms of a lot of these, you know, big social liberal issues that there's no doubt I'm, I'm personally left of center. But at the same time, Clay, I come from a big conservative pro-Trump family, and I know what that's like to have conversations with people you personally love who may believe parts of, quite frankly, what we call the big lie. And I think part of the work I've gotten to do as a reporter I'm most proud of is travel the country and go to Americans where they are in teeny tiny rural American towns um, and recognize that they're not bad people. Um, you know, the same that I, I would never want them to think that people who live in big cities are bad people. I think at the end of the day, we all are trying to accomplish the same sets of things, even if we believe there's different ways to get there. And I think by going about it in a non-judgmental, appreciative way, I found people are, are willing to engage in good faith, regardless of which of the two parties you happen to align with. So I think that's a bit of my approach. Um, Cheddar really has done a great job of like kind of targeting um, a very younger, a young audience and getting a millennial audience and maybe even a Gen Z audience. You can tell me the data um, to, to pay attention to news. Um, why is it so difficult to uh, get them interested in news? Why are they? I mean, even the cable news outlets that are left of center still have an, a very old demographic watching them. Um, how has how are you going to approach that with your show? How does Cheddar do it in general? And, and why is it that why do you think young folks don't traditionally watch news? Well, I, we're definitely speaking to the cord cutting generation. And one thing uh, that I think the founder of Cheddar, John Steinberg, will forever deserve credit for is that I think he really saw where the puck was going in terms of uh, a generation of cord cutters, people who had grown frustrated with traditional cable and said, we want to get our news through skinny bundles of these digital distribution platforms, which since, you know, even in just the last five years, quite frankly, a lot of these bigger legacy media outlets have really now been forced to pivot to as well. I think what we will look to capitalize on for our show in primetime is what Cheddar has done really well, which is understand that there's a lot of consumers out there. They are a social media first consumer before they're a traditional cable news consumer. So we do a lot of series to Instagram. We do a lot of series on, on TikTok. We try to go to viewers where they are, which is increasingly, yes, a younger, but also a more mobile audience. We try and make a lot of content that is going to speak to them and reach them in a way uh, that is, I think, going to latch on to the sorts of apps that they're already using. So we stream on Twitter. We do IG Lives, and, and the Cheddar team has been very good about willing to experiment, throw things at the wall, see what works, see what doesn't work. And I think that spirit of curiosity will be uh, very much what we look to embrace for the new show as well. I mean, but you are kind of taking on a, uh, what's the word? Is it the legacy media model of by going on, you know, doing the primetime news thing? Um, what is it that they do well? Why is why are primetime news shows still very popular? And and obviously there's one that, you know, you guys have made the decision to do that at Cheddar, mm -hmm. to move into primetime, to start an evening show. Why, what are they doing right over there that you also would like to try to emulate? 
I, I think it's what we saw a lot of times in our own research data, which is that uh, our, our executive team would look at the hours of the average broadcast day, Monday through Friday, when people were tuning in. We've always broadcasted more or less along the hours of the major market indexes. Hey, from day one, Cheddar has proudly broadcasted on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. That That's you know one of our absolute best partners that we've had from day one. And so I think what we kind of looked at as the team looked at the data was to say that you know even in a pandemic, there was really an increase, an uptick in interest for after hours viewing. And so we start to put different shows. My documentary series that we did before the 2020 election, which was called The Pivot Counties, we start to put those in the prime time. And we said, hey, people are really seeing it. And honestly, I would look at my own social media engagement and see that people would see a rerun of something airing at seven, eight, nine o'clock, even if it's on Cheddar. And I say, wow, even though this aired at maybe two o'clock in the afternoon, they're seeing it at night. And I think that it was part of what informed the decision to say, let's roll the dice, let's try something new, and let's take the spirit of Cheddar content that we've always done day side that has up until now only ended at six o'clock, and let's bring it to the eight o'clock hour. So I want to go back to the to the, the fast, this part that I find fascinating that you started in comedy, and mm-hmm. then you transitioned <laughs> from a somewhat more entertaining, uh, well, from what people would think would be a real fun career <laughs> in in comedy writing. Um, why po- why politics? Why news? What 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 was it about comedy that you were that? wasn't giving you what you needed or wanted to keep you satisfied, like, and that politics did give you. I, I'll be absolutely honest. I, I loved comedy. I really did. Um, there was never a sense of like, oh, I'm going to give up. I'm, I'm not going to be a comedy writer anymore. The type of comedy, Clay, that I ended up really gravitating towards was Daily Show, Colbert Report style comedy. It was late night desk comedy. It was the type of comedy that looked at the day's news and knew how to effectively skewer those who were in power. And I watched, you know, I think a rising generation of a lot of people kind of get their news for good or from bad from that slot on Comedy Central for so many years. And that was sort of the lane of comedy that I was drawn to doing. And the pivot moment happened for me um, around 2014, 2015. I was, you know, just like I'd always done, I was doing a lot of live theater shows. I used to do a one-man late-night show on stage at the People's Improv Theater in New York. And what kind of happened by accident over the years of me just working on that as as a comedic craft was I had just accidentally kind of amassed such a knowledge base of cable news and how it worked and the power players in Washington and the basic political storylines. And at the time, it was Dan Abrams who led Mediate, who gave me basically my first big break at this level and said, you know, you're you're pretty good at just the politics stuff. Like, I think you could really be a journalist. There's a lot you need to learn, but you've got the chops for it. And he empowered me, and I've been lucky enough to have great mentors ever since. So I don't necessarily view it as uh, such a big departure from what I used to. I view it as being a lot more closely aligned uh, than I think some people might otherwise realize. Well, like I said, I've said to many people, politics is politics is show business for ugly people. That's why I ran for Congress. Because um, <laughs> it's a better fit for me. Um, what, what, I think you mentioned The Daily Show and the fact that um, you're right. I think in 2008 or five or six or whenever that John Stewart heyday, something like 50, 60 percent. I'm making numbers up, so don't don't use don't fact don't use these as a fact check. Um, but but a huge percentage of young people between the ages of 18 and 24 got their news from The Daily Show. You're absolutely right. I mean, there was actually there is 
in existence actual research that tells where are those people getting their news now? Where's that age group getting their news today? If the, if the Daily Show is not pulling the same sort of numbers um, that it used to. My, my knee-jerk reaction tells me, in part, TikTok. And I really don't think that that's a stretch. I think the amount well, of well. time that younger consumers are spending on TikTok is, is astronomical. And there's some really, really brilliant, I think, r- journalists and reporters in the space who are leveraging the TikTok platform specifically to try and get information out. I think a lot of social media platforms are a destination for fun. They're a destination for entertainment. Uh, but they're also a destination for education and helping create a more informed citizenry. It just doesn't look the way it did, uh, you know, certainly not generations ago when Walter Cronkite uh, was on the scene. Um, but even just a few short years ago, I mean, I, I would argue people, especially younger demographics, were probably not quite as closely glued to their cell phones, even as they were in the heyday of John Stewart at The Daily Show. So I think some of those have shifted and I'm sure they spread out quite a bit. Um, I know there's a lot more entrants in the space maybe than there were 10, 15 years ago. So, um, you know, we get the sense that uh, I think there's a lot of places where, where people are going. So that's what Cheddar and a lot of other places have tried to do. We try and compete in different verticals. But isn't it also a, a I mean, it's an opportunity for entertainment. It is, these places, social media are, yes, for some education too, but isn't it also a breeding ground for misinformation also. I mean, you can't, you cannot clearly tell the story of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict um, in a, in 240 characters on Twitter or in a one minute or 45 second TikTok video. So, I mean, how much, for all the good that it does, how much, how much damage do you think has been done by people relying on short form social media for their, I mean, like their daily dose of information um, and what's going on. One, it's like, it might as well, it's worse than Wikipedia because it's not, there aren't even people <laughs> censoring it yeah. like Wikipedia, okay. but anybody can say anything they want to say at any time and get millions of people to believe what they want. Um, and they also don't, they, they also, even if they are telling the truth, they cannot do it in a way that's necessarily thoughtful or deliberate, mm-hmm. right? So how much has social media hurt us also? I, I, I think it's absolutely a double-edged sword. There's no doubt, especially for a company. And it's, I, I know it tends to be the big boogeyman, but I think it's a good example of Facebook comp- a company like Facebook that trades publicly as part of the shareholder economy, needs to bring in revenue, and therefore is driven by the advertising-focused bottom line. Of course, it's in the financial best interest, and they'll spend it as their fiduciary responsibility to shareholders to create as much content, to have advertising dollars come in. And so Facebook, I don't think, is, is inherently incentivized, which owns Instagram, I think is a similar position to a lot of these other companies. You know, These companies are not necessarily incentivized to do what we would consider the right thing, to self-police, to, to, to make sure those barriers are absolutely there. I think there is a component of personal responsibility on the viewer. One thing that we've said, I think a lot of people have said before is, you know, balance your sources of uh, of news, where you're getting your news and, and kind of what that uh, what that angle of conversation looks like. And my years of Washington have taught me that oftentimes the truth is somewhere in the middle, um, especially on the, the most divisive issues of the day where it's very loud, especially. And that has always been at least what I've tried to encourage viewers to do. 
Uh, but you're absolutely right, though. The social media, I think I view it as a double-edged sword. I think there's components of it where it has really helped not just connect people but educate people. But that spread of information, I, I think even a platform like Twitch is having their own issues right now where there's a lot of individuals who believe the big lie, are, are sort of proselytizing it and sharing the big lie and a lot of money in doing so because there are people out there who just want to tune into it. The growing echo chambers is maybe my number one concern about the state of news media moving forward, because I don't see that particular structure being dismantled anytime soon. Is there a way to fix it at all? Or has or is the First Amendment also a double-edged sword in that Why? way? Sure. I mean, is is it? Yeah, I think the double. Well, for sure, I think the First Amendment has always been a little bit of a double-edged sword like that. Um, I I don't see the genie necessarily being put back in the bottle or the toothpaste being put back into the tube. Now that we've kind of exploited it and people have realized, oh, yes, I have twenty-four hours of consecutive news coverage that completely and unequivocally backs up the bias that I want to hear. Uh, that is absolutely going to result in, in a lot of problems. And I think part of that is the fact that you've got a massive percentage of the American people who are convinced beyond a reasonable doubt, just as convinced as I am that Joe Biden won the election fair or square. They are equally convinced that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. I don't know how that trend reverses. Um, all I can try and do is use the platform that I have to bring about the best faith, have conversations with the right leaders on Capitol Hill that I view in my years of doing the job are striking the right balance and uh, and hope that people will consider listening and, and, and learning. And I always tell people, because I hold this for myself, uh, strong opinions weekly held. I like being challenged in politics. I like changing my viewpoint. I like looking back at an opinion or even something I wrote, maybe even something I tweeted a few years ago and saying, I wouldn't quite put it that way now. I've learned. I've evolved. I've been challenged on that. And uh, it's my wish that more Are we allowed do to do I that, wish. though, J.D.? I think so. I Is, think are, we so. Allowed to, are we allowed to evolve anymore? Aren't we held accountable for all the things that we put on social? I mean, I'm glad I'm old enough that I didn't have <laughs> social media when I was younger. Um, but, I mean, we don't let people make mistakes anymore. One mistake and you're canceled forever, right? I, the, the cancel conversation is, is rampant in Washington. It has been for a long time. It will be for a long time. Absolutely. Will it? You think it's not? You don't think it's a phase? You think it's going to oh, continue? I, I, I do think it'll continue. I think there have been a few instances where maybe there's been this broader sort of, okay, have we kind of jumped the shark a little bit on have, have we gone too far? Do we kind of need to ease the sense? Um, should someone be really held accountable for what he or she tweeted as a teenager that prevents that person from getting a very well-deserved, very good faith opportunity in his or her 30s? That might be going too far. Um, I guess every, yeah, it's all relative and, and depends on the context specifically. But I think that's the sort of thing I'm sensing people start to pull back from. But I, I don't necessarily see that ending anytime too clearly in the near future. That just depresses <laughs> the hell out of me. I mean, seriously, what's I mean, it, it's I, I just want at some point for some company to say, you know what? Screw it. We're not going to fire this person because they farted in a church <laughs> 15 years ago. We're not going to do it. And you can all kiss our asses. And if you I mean, somebody's going to have to be nobody's strong enough to stand up to the or brave enough to stand up to the Twitter sphere anymore. No, I? that's I was just reading a headline earlier today about people being afraid to, to, to incur the wrath of the blue check marks in political Twitter, or at least in the Twitter sphere, for sure. And there's absolute power to that. And, you know, I think I, it's, you know, a friend of mine one time found himself on the receiving end of criticism. He said, you know, you log into Twitter every day. 
And it's always someone. Someone's always having that day. And you never want to be that person until you are that person. Where something you said or something you tweeted or something that's been unearthed now puts the bullseye on your back. Um, so I, I do think um, in this democratized platform where more people have voices, um, more people will be louder in their criticism. Sometimes I feel like we all should just shut the hell <laughs> I up. I like that. I'm with you. Um, That's great. Myself, myself included, to be completely honest. But, but you know, they keep putting this microphone in front of my mouth. Um, so you've got it, – it, it's a news program, but it's still entertainment. I mean, you've got to get people to watch, yep. right? And how do, you, how do you do that and stay um, – I ha- refuse to use the phrase fair and balanced. So what was I going to say? How do you do that and stay – sort of even keeled mm-hmm. because for the past year we've all sort of been I, I think at times scared into watching the news mm. watch the news because if you don't watch what's coming up where we're about to tell you after this commercial break or in in an hour we're going to talk to you about how this new variant might make your limbs fall off um how but that's how they keep yeah. you watching how do you do, how do you how are you going to program your show that doesn't in a way that it doesn't require you to scare the shit out of me in order to get well, me. Well, I, I mean, I think one thing that comes to the top hoping to do is is bring stories to the 8 o'clock hour that aren't necessarily being told elsewhere. I mean, we really cover at Cheddar, we've covered since our launch, the, the latest, the coolest companies that move, the, that move the world forward in big tech and space and rocketry. We cover cryptocurrencies. I do a meme coin uh, series for the Cheddar Instagram the GameStops. Lord, I'm gonna have to watch that because I don't understand. But you, none but of that you know, but, but even the fact you say you want to watch it because I think it's the sort of thing that a lot of people see the headlines of. They pass it and they're kind of like, I've got so many questions. I don't kind of know. I kind of know how that works, but I actually maybe don't. And Cheddar has done an amazing job. We have so many incredible producers over the years that do a lot of just basic explainer content, and we want it. We want people to learn more. So uh, you know, especially like what's happening this week with the AMC stop during all of our rehearsal or the stock rather. During this week in rehearsals, that, that's a big story for us because I know that people want to know. We're going to be covering stories on facial recognition and some of the concerns on cryptocurrency, especially like the mining of Bitcoin and what it means on the environment. I think some non-intuitive stories that I feel confident to say, Chris Hayes, Tucker Carlson, they probably will not cover in the 8 o'clock hour. Why won't they? Why won't they? Well, they, I think they tend to be politically I mean, focused shows I mean, first and foremost. But to your other point, I think maybe there is a little bit of a at least perceived advantage to to staying focused on on some of those uh, uh, social issues that sometimes can be divisive of the day, and, and hope that, that lures in eyeballs. Um, are millennials doing cryptocurrency? Sorry, I just feel no. <laughs> incredibly old in this moment. Are they doing it? Because I don't understand that at all. It's like, just give me some cash instead. Hey, I, I'm, a little <laughs> bit, I'm a bit of an old soul too. So I'm absolutely there with you. I, I always have cash. Oh, you can be the old soul. I'm literally like joints <laughs> I, creaking old. That no, I no soul at all. <laughs> uh, I absolutely am, am a fan of cash and carry for sure. Uh, yeah, there's a ton of interest, I think, for Gen Z and millennials to 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 be forward looking. And that's really a core part of a lot of uh, of our new messaging at Cheddar is to is to hit that forward looking uh, uh, point of interest and that spirit of curiosity for viewers that want to know what are the big picture solutions of tomorrow? What are the non-intuitive things that'll that'll come out? You know, I remember on the campaign trail at, at the time we, we covered the 2020 race early on, this idea of a candidate and Andrew Yang talking about universal basic income, that sounded so different to people at a time. Of course, a pre-pandemic world. Now it's kind of like, 
now we're in the world of like stimulus checks. So we've kind of built up a familiarity with it. But I remember at the time hearing that and, and interviewing Andrew several times. We traveled the country with him uh, at different points and said, this is a different idea. I know it's got interest. It's not quite mainstream. Let's invest a lot of time to make sure people understand what it's about, how it could benefit them, and at least what these policy proposals are. And I think that's the way that I kind of look at politics. So I'm hoping to bring a bit of that spirit. I want people to be able to tune in. I think they'll laugh. I think they'll learn a lot. And I think they'll say, that's a super cool story. I have not seen that anywhere else. And I want to keep watching this show because I want to learn other equally very cool stories that I may not have heard elsewhere or seen elsewhere on the internet. That would be a great goal to achieve. Are there any politicians who appeal to a younger demographic besides the obvious, the AOCs and the, the Ilhan Omars and the Cory Bushes? Are there, are, are, is that a demographic that has all of a sudden decided to start getting involved um, more recently? Or are they still just not? voting and uh, what wh what do politicians need to do to appeal to them or should they even worry about it because they ain't well vote anyway. i mean I, get to, I suppose it depends on who you ask I, I definitely think there's been increased interest the thing that i'm most heartened and optimistic by clay is the fact that so many people not unlike yourself have decided at one point it's not enough just to commentate i want to run I want to throw my hat in this or I want to give this a go. And we've seen that from from younger Americans in record numbers, I think, especially since the 2016 campaign. I think for good or for bad, a lot of people said, wait a minute, Trump, Donald Trump, the dude from The Apprentice can become president. Well, I can run for my city council, folks. I can run for whatever this board is. I can run for a seat in the that's house. Why, that's why Matthew McConaughey thinks he can be the well, governor Well, hey, but Texas you know, and before sudden, Trump. Yeah, and Caitlyn Jenner can be the governor, governor well, you know, and of, some of people California. May, but I couldn't be a fucking congressman, apparently. But I, 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 I also this think some people bullshit. may even go back further and say, hey, there was once upon a time when Ronald Reagan was just the spokesman for GE and he was the Gipper and he did it. Mm -hmm. And now we don't even think about him as the Gipper or the spokes guy who like sell, used to sell GE products in 30 second commercials back in the day. We think of him as, this, as many people say, this great icon of, of conservative principles. So. Um, yeah, I, I think younger viewers are, are motivated to get involved in politics, and it depends on the demographic. I think you're right. Americans in cities specifically, if they're, uh, if they're left of center, totally. They look at the Justice Democrats and they say, this is my brand of politician. They look at Bernie Sanders and they say, yes, capitalism has not worked for enough Americans. Capitalism has, has bottomed out twice in an absolute catastrophe in the last 100 years. And we still don't sit there and I don't say there. that on you're the floor of the stock exchange tomorrow, please. Got a lot of respect, <laughs> a lot of respect for the world of Wall Street, for sure, because we cover the indexes very closely. But I, I really know that senses, especially for, for young people in Gen Z and millennial who have come of age after the 08 financial crisis and said, the system is, is not fair. And so they've identified a handful of politicians that they feel speaks to them. But if you go to other parts of the country, you go to North Carolina, there are other younger members of Congress, you know, as someone like a Congressman uh, Madison Cawthorn. Okay. <laughs> You're not allowed to say his name on this show. Sorry. I'm in North, I'm in North Carolina. I didn't, I didn't and know he your specific rules on that, but listen, but um, again, you know, that or, or you know, any of these other members, they fundraise, they, they bring in a ton of money for themselves for the GOP caucus. And I'd argue they are all, they also have support from younger well, well, so so you're right, though. There are some younger uh, there are some younger Republican uh, politicians. I mean, Elise Stefanik mm -hmm. is not old herself. And she's now that, you know, the chair of the conference. Um, Madison Cawthorn, uh, Matt Gates yep. is 
even Young himself also. But are they appealing to younger conservatives? I mean, the one thing that I you can see these younger Republicans in Congress, but you don't necessarily see a groundswell of millennial support for them. Their followers are not young like AOC's mm. followers are or Bernie Sanders' followers are. Are there people in the Republican Party who are who are successfully speaking to younger voters? I think so. And I, I think not even maybe if they're not even members of Congress, you got a lot of these kind of outside conservative influencers. I'd probably argue off the top of my head, conservatives may have some of these sorts of figures. You know, the people who do know how to leverage those primetime slots in Fox, I'm thinking of um you know, uh, people like a Candace Owens, a Charlie Kirk, they're themselves not politicians, but they can raise enthusiasm. They can help raise money. They do appearances with these lawmakers. And um, I haven't attended any of those events in a long time. But, you know, if, if uh, a Turning Points USA does an event down in Florida, uh, they're going to sell out a capacity crowd. People will pay money. They'll meet the Matt Gateses. They'll meet the Mo Brookses of the world. That turns into fundraising uh, uh, dollars more uh, PR prowess for them on, on that side of the political aisle. So I definitely say they have their their version of a, of a pro-justice Democrat response. I, I always saw the Justice Democrats as sort of the Democratic version of the House Freedom Caucus, but I think the Justice Democrats have a lot more of this sort of social pizzazz factor that that does it that does seem to to have a different sort of um, kind of clickiness or appeal. And I think understandably so than what we've seen from uh, at least a lot of Republican efforts, at least until the last couple of years. Well, we get a lot of our um, questions for our guests from social media. And so when a guest is so tapped in to that younger generation, we get a lot of good questions. So there you go. Um, <laughs> that's why we have quite a few for you tonight, J.D. Uh, so I want to get to them. Jack from Los Angeles. Oh, you can send your questions in for our guests. You can do that at Politicon on Twitter or on Instagram at Politicon, or you can email them to podcasts at Politicon.com. Jack from Los Angeles wants to know, when I watch the news, it's all climate emergencies, COVID, and racism. Is there room for positivity in politics? Is there room for positivity in politics? Um, yeah, there absolutely is. I just know that oftentimes those sort of emergency stories are the sorts of things that unfortunately drive clicks. They drive retweets. And I think sometimes that has translated to to viewership. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons to be pessimistic about the state of politics and the state of misinformation and what divides us. But um, I, I think there is at times I think people sort of more or less want the same thing. Right. We want basic security. Most Americans, I think the vast overwhelming majority would tell you, what's your what's your biggest concern? Well, I'd like to see my family, I'd like to see my kids have it a little bit better than I had it. And I hear that from people all over the country. And it doesn't matter if you're an AOC or a Donald Trump supporter. You're like, I want things, I, I want that burden to be taken off. I wish things were a little bit easier. The system doesn't quite feel to be working for me. And I feel optimistic to think that some of those most important core values are shared by Americans and do not divide us. So I think it becomes easy to look at the things that divide us, but I, I do believe there's uh, to be optimistic. Okay, Sierra from Nashville um, got a 1600 on her SAT, I think, because um, I don't even understand some of these words. But sorry, Sierra, <laughs> I'm a, but I'm going to ask your question to JD anyway. With Reddit's, okay, <laughs> bear with me here. With Reddit's Wall Street bets and crypto helping us remember the American dream, 
should the younger among us trust more of our future to institutions or iconoclasm? Wow, that is an awesome question. Thank you for that one from Nashville. I, I, I hesitate to give like one blanket answer to either pro or anti-institution, but I am fully aware that institutions just continue to fail Americans, especially our most vulnerable. There's absolutely no doubt. Um, I think the systemic racism, the issues that have continued to impact our communities of color are a result of not accidents in what have happened in our institutions and our federal government. This is oftentimes by by intentional nefarious design that go back, you know, well over a hundred years. And so I totally understand that people have skepticism of, of the big banks, of Wall Street, of the federal government, of whatever it is. Um, you know, I would caution on the iconoclasm part, or at least the spirit of like the retail investor for the purpose of, of the question that was asked, there are pitfalls and people need to be very, very careful. Um, you know, it's really well advised not to throw your money into a meme stock. Do not take out your savings and throw it in because if you go to Wall Street Bets, you will see Robinhood screen grab after Robinhood screen grab of what seems like, you know, get rich quick stories. And I'm sort of reminded of like old Honeymooners episodes where Ralph Cramden always had like a get rich quick scheme. And I think if Jackie Gleason were alive today, he would do an episode where he's like, I got it, honey. I got the big plan. We're going literally to the moon. He used to say to the moon. He's like, we're going to the moon. I got this meme stock. It's a, it's a can't miss. Like we're guaranteed to win. That to me is kind of the spirit of what's happening with the meme coin and crypto space today. So I say be, uh, be understandably critical of the institutions, but be careful who else you trust. J.D. Durkin, you were not kidding about being an old soul. How you figured out a way to talk about both cryptocurrency and the Honeymooners and Jackie Gleason in the same paragraph. That's pretty damn impressive. To the moon. Um, <laughs> Tanner from Chicago. How can the people effectively compete with corporations and modern persuasion techniques to beat lobbyists and business interests? Be lobbyists in it. I, I, the voting, vote, vote for the love of God, vote, vote for the politicians that you honestly believe are going to dismantle that system. Get yourself registered. Sit down with your family members that don't vote. Sit down with your best friends that don't vote. Plead to them the case of why this is so important. I don't see those things being dismantled, Clay, until you you put the politicians in place that are committed to passing legislation, that are committed to having those conversations that say the outsized influence of corporate lobbying, the decision on Citizens United. These are these are poisons on our system. And I don't see that changing until you have the right spirited people in place to make those decisions. And uh, it's a democratic republic and we vote them in. Last one, Irene from Santa Fe. Do you think young versus old will be the divide of the next decade? Young versus old, the divide of the next decade. I, Let me. I want to rephrase sure. it. I want to rephrase it and ask: Is it? I, I, sorry, Irene, but I have a similar question, which is: Are we divided more by politics or by generation? Do you think that we're that? that which one is a, is a more difficult divide for us? Politics. Politics. I think. Um, to me, there's a lot that says. I think a lot of people look at. I think most Americans can kind of agree something's not working. The system is broken. And my sort of super simplified version I think about a lot of times that half of America seems to think the reason America is in so much trouble is because of them. 
It's because of other countries. It's because of outsiders. It's because of people coming into this country, taking our jobs. It's because that country didn't pay its fair share. And the other half of the country says, almost forget about the rest of the world. We're corrupt because we're corrupt in our core. And this is us. We need to change from within. We can't expect to be the best country on earth once again unless we're going to look within. So I feel like a lot of conservatives look outward and blame other people. And a lot of liberals look within and we blame ourselves. We blame the history of our own institutions. And I think that kind of cuts, um, cuts along age. And I think there's a lot of younger Americans and older Americans who are sort of aligned with that. So to me, I think it would be politics versus age. Okay, I want to ask you about the title sure. to your show because we haven't even the name of your show because we haven't yeah. even touched on that yet. I kind of I want to know where you got it from, but I I kind of love it no matter where you. what your motivation was. None of none mm -hmm. of the above with JD Durkin. Why none of the above? What, what was your motivation? Behind this is the that? absolute truth to the background of the story. Uh, several months ago, we were audience testing sample names of the show that I and other producers had come up with, and and we did these audience tests and. You know, the sample tests come back and they say, oh, you know, which of these do you like the most? And they'd come back with varying percentages. And the the highest chosen one was quite literally the last answer, which said none of the above. We don't like these. And when that came back, I I launched into an improvised bit on this editorial call when I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Oh, can I say that? I think I can. Fuck it. I'm going to call. I'm yes, going to call can. the show. <laughs> None of the above. And I just launched into this bet and I was like, welcome to none of the above with J.D. Durkin. Sorry, you're out of options elsewhere, people. I guess you're stuck with this show. <laughs> and then the more I got to think of that, Clay, it's kind of like, you know what? Listen, I do think that actually <laughs> kind of embodies what we are trying to do, which is to understand there's a lot of other voices in the space, a lot of other options at eight o'clock. I'm not nearly as famous as Chris Hayes, as Tucker Carlson or Anderson Cooper. But I know that my show is this. What we are going to do with our scrappy, wonderful team is going to be different. We will cover stories in a different way. And what started as a joke is now the legitimate show name. And I'm very proud of that. Um, I love that story. I assumed that it had something to do with the fact that and it doesn't. So I'm just making I'm pulling this out of my butt here. But then so many people kind of wish they could vote for none of the above in November, you know, when the, when, when the time comes, they're so, I find it fascinating. And as we've talked, as we've done this show for over a year now, um, it's amazing to me how often people will say they don't like any, either one of the parties completely, but there's so many folks who just don't want to associate with either party. We've seen this huge rise of independent registrations um, in politic between political parties, either registering unaffiliated or registering independent um, from voters. And everyone says it, but we all still religiously vote for the people in the one party that we associate with the most. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I know who say, I never vote straight party ticket. But yes, they all do, because at the end of the day, we're only given two options. And no, I don't fit into the Republican Party at all. But there are times when I don't necessarily agree with everything that my own party is saying. And I sometimes wish I could vote for none of the above. Um, and so I kind of assumed that's why you went with it. But I like your story better. I think it's cuter than mine. I like um, yours, though. <laughs> but I do think it sounds like you are kind of in agreement with many of our founding fathers who said the worst thing we could do is just have a two party system. That is not the way this should be. But we've been stuck with it for quite some time. Well, I think most of America would be happy to get rid of it, but 
that'll be that's a that's a conversation for another time because how you get rid of how you break the two party system the stranglehold we have um is that's that's yes <laughs> i would agree that would be a great way to solve some of the division cuz at least then we could be divided into 3 instead of just sure. into 2 and nothing more but i will also say this i Definitely cannot stomach washing Tucker Carlson. Uh, Anderson Cooper, uh, he's had his time. And I don't understand why Chris Hayes is a person. But so now I have an option at 8 o'clock. <laughs> 8 o'clock on Cheddar beginning next Monday, June 7th. Um, people can find Cheddar where? Uh, we are on, uh, we're up to uh, over 40 million homes. If you got, you know, DirecTV and, and several of the other regular cable, we're also available at, at Cheddar.com. Uh, and a lot of the the skinny bundles, which you may have, depending, you know, if you have Fubo TV, things like that. That's a popular way that people are getting their news and all over social media, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, things like that. We'll have content from the show posted in as many places as absolutely possible. But Cheddar.com will be your, your best bet if you are otherwise out of options. Well, I have YouTube TV. Absolutely. Sure We're there. You're on YouTube TV. Um, I, are, are you we on are. Pluto oh. as well? So most most folks um, have access to Pluto for free on their smart TV somehow. So you should definitely be able to find it um, next Monday at 8, every night, first primetime show on Cheddar, none of the above with J.D. Durkin. Um, so let's assume that we're not going to be able to break the stranglehold of the two-party system right yet. And we probably can't get rid of lobbyists mm -hmm. um, and corporate greed yet. And we're not going to be able to stop people from believing the air quotes news mm -hmm. that they want to believe. So JD, how the heck are we going to get along? When all else fails, I think we just every national news headline can be viewed a little bit better if we just incorporate empathy. If we just remember that there's someone holding the short end, uh, the short straw, someone's left out, someone's really being hurt. And if we could all just stop for a second and not make this about, you know, who's winning, who's fighting, who gets to just remember who is most vulnerable among us. And if we really just shed the partisan labels we shed the, the aggressive politics talk, and we're willing to just remember we're all human beings. We share this pale blue dot, as Carl Sagan called it. This is the only home we've ever known. This is all we have. All we can do is take care of one another and try and be good to one another and be fucking kind to one another with what little bit of time we have. That is my hope for how we all can get along, whether you are someone with an R next to your name, a D next to your name, or none of the above.